Today's reading is from Genesis 11:27 to 12:9. This is the account of Terah's family line. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. The Lord had said to Abram, "Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse." And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, and as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was seventy-five years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, "To your offspring I will give this land." So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he went on toward the hills of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward Negev. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Natalie, and well done on the pronunciation of of those names. Impressive. Well, we are walking through the book of Genesis, the first book in the Bible. And we have been looking at well some just amazing stories, really the story of the creation of the world, and then the fall of humanity, and then a global flood, and then a tower that God came down and He scattered people all over the face of the earth. And we have we've been looking at the spread of the human family, but now in chapter twelve we reach this really interesting. Major division in the book of of Genesis. We're going to meet a man named Abraham, and we're going to meet his family. In fact, his family will be the topic of conversation for the remainder of the book of of Genesis. But this morning, we're meeting a man named Abram. He's going to be called Abraham. Same same person, so don't worry about that. I'll probably just call him Abraham this morning because I'm going to get confused. But we're seeing we're seeing God we're seeing God just break into a man's life and and call him, and it's just such an, a, an amazingly radical call. And yes, and yes, there are ways in which this call 
of uh, Abraham is unique and unrepeatable. And yet, in many ways, there, there are some similarities and overlapping to this calling for everybody who God calls. For thousands of years, as God has called people to himself, we see sort of similar principles. And, and what I want you to see this morning is that God is a calling God. He calls people into relationship with himself. And it is a radical calling. And I want to show you this morning from our passage why it is a radical calling. Three ways. First, it's radical because of its demands. It's radical because of its promises. And it's radical because of its impact. First, its demands. It's radical because of its demands. Now, we need to locate Abram for a second here. Uh, we got to try to figure out where he is on his spiritual journey. If we're going to understand how like absolutely radical this call is, we we got to understand where Abraham was at spiritually speaking. Now, there's there's not a lot to go on in the passage, but there are some clues. There are some clues, a few clues. One, we're told that he was living in Ur, Ur of the Chaldeans. What we know from history is that Ur was a place where people worshipped many gods. In fact, they worshipped the moon god. That was the big god that they worshipped. Abraham's father's name was Terah. It means something like moon. And so Abraham lived in a culture, in a world that practiced multi-worship of different gods. Now, that doesn't mean that Abraham did, but we know that he did because in Joshua chapter 24, verse 2, don't turn there now, but maybe one day you will. It says really clearly that, that Terah and Abraham and everybody worshipped many gods. So Abraham was not looking for God. Abraham was not pursuing God. Abraham was somewhere in what is now modern-day Iraq, and he was just living his life, worshiping foreign gods. And it's into this context, it's into this moment, when Abraham is not looking for God, wants nothing to do with the true God, that God calls him. And this is the call. Go from your country, your people, your family, to the land that I will show you. What I want you to see here is that God's call always involves a couple of directions. One, he's calling us away from something. He's calling us to something. Abraham was called to leave everything that he knew. His family, his country, his people, his way of life, his security, everything. He was called to live a life where he was in control, where he was at the center, where he could control his life and the gods around him. And God calls him away from all of that, and he calls him to a land that he's going to show him eventually. And I want you to see here this morning just how powerful God's word is. And I want you to hear the demands that God puts on this radical, radical calling. Because it is always a call to leave something. And it is always a call to go somewhere. It's always a call to leave the life that we knew. 
a life without God, a life where we're at the center, a life where we worship this and we worship that, we worship anything, everything but the true God. And it's a call away from that, but it's a call to begin to walk a life of faith, a call to walk with God, a call to walk in relationship with God. But that is the motif. It's a call from and it's a call to. And that is the story of everybody who has heard and been impacted by this powerful call. This call comes with those demands on it. I know it did for me. Like some of you, I did grow up in a Christian family. I did. I did grow up in a Christian family. But it didn't stick. <laughs> Not for years. It was a real hassle, to be honest. I wasn't, I wasn't thrilled with going to church every Sunday. Most Sundays in my teenage years, I was just trying to stay awake and nurse my hangover. And I just, Jesus was a major inconvenience for me. I remember the first time I prayed. I was so stoned. And I just said to him, I said, leave me alone. That was the first time I ever prayed. But he didn't. That's why I'm here today. You know, it's a good thing. Sometimes God doesn't answer prayers, and that's a good thing, right? But I remember growing up as such a drag, and church was a drag, and I wanted nothing to go to do with God. And I remember um, after university, or yeah, I just decided to go live in Ottawa, and I got working with this guy, Jimmy Levine. What a great name, working with Jimmy Levine. And uh, Jimmy Levine was an ardent Catholic. I mean, he was serious about his Catholic faith. I, I, I grew up in a Protestant world, but I grew up, uh, you know, the son of a Southern Irish man, and so he was a Protestant, and so there was this big divide in my house between, like, Protestants and Catholics. Never allowed to date a Catholic. Never. I could have brought home, a, like, a green woman with two heads, and that would have been fine, but never a Catholic. And so he was the Catholic. We got, we got talking, and I decided it would be fun to try to destroy his faith. Fun. And so I began to argue and debate with him with what limited knowledge I had of the Protestant tradition. You know, what, what I was able to sort of grasp while coming in and out of sleep while I was hung over in the pew, you know. And I, you know, I realized, I realized pretty quickly that I didn't know enough to destroy his faith. So I had to do something. I went and I found a Bible <laughs> and I began to read the Bible. I began to read the Bible to destroy his Catholic faith. But something happened. Something happened that I, I didn't expect. And I didn't see coming. Remember, I'm not saved. I'm just a Protestant, though. <laughs> uh, something happens to me. I begin to feel something for the very first time in my life. It was a very, it was a negative sensation. I felt bad. I felt bad about myself. Because I was living a, a very hedonistic life. 
And as the, you know, the more I read God's word, the more I felt this thing, which I would later understand to be conviction of sin. And, you know, God came crashing in on my life. And I remember being, I couldn't sleep. And I would wake up and I would be weeping under the power of conviction in the early hours of the morning. And my girlfriend would come out and, what is going on with your life? And about that time, my brother, Andrew, who was not just a Protestant, but a Christian, <laughs> I mean a real Christian, he came up and he said to me, Kieran, man, if you just, and he could see how I was living, if you just, if you just forsake the pleasures of this life and you turn to Christ, you will know pleasure like you've never known pleasure. And that's what I needed to hear. And that began the journey, the leaving and the moving towards. Now, it was not smooth sailing at the beginning. Hey, it's still not smooth sailing, but it was rough. But you know what? Those early steps were important. And I heard the demands of his call to leave and to turn to Christ, to forsake the life I had lived and to turn and find real joy and pleasure in Jesus Christ. And friends, that is always the nature of the call. It's a call away from sin, away from idolatry, away from a life independent of God, and a life into Christ, a life of joy, a life of blessing. That's the radical call of God. It's radical, radical, because of its demands. Some of you this morning, your, your story is a dramatic story. For others of you, you can't remember a time, you can't pinpoint the time when you transitioned and you left and you moved towards God. And I wish that was my testimony. Because I can tell you that the scars that are associated with my testimony are lifelong. And oh, I wish for you and I wish for your children to be spared a life of prodigality. And all of the scarring that goes with that. I wish I had your testimony, but it's all different for everybody, isn't it? And what I know is this, that it's personal and the message is always the same. The word of God comes and it says, leave. But not just leave, it's move towards. And move towards blessing. Now, this is what I want to show you this morning. That his call is radical, not just because of its demands, but also because of its promises. Okay? Secondly. And I want you to do something for a second, and it shouldn't be difficult. Here it is. I want you to try and put yourself in Abram's shoes, okay? Now, I'll tell you why that shouldn't be difficult. Because nobody knew Abram. Now, don't be offended by that. But it's true. Nobody knew him. Nobody knew him. He wasn't a household name. He hadn't uh, written a best-selling book. As far as we know, he had done nothing significant in terms of accomplishments in his life. He was kind of just tucked away in some remote place 
of the world, and nobody knew him. It shouldn't be hard to identify with that, right? Right? But it's in this context, try and get this, that these mind-bending promises come to Abraham. Hear it. Oh, by the way, he couldn't have kids. His wife was barren. And here come the promises. I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Okay, so here's a guy that nobody knows. His family line is, is, is dead. That's it. And today, billions of people know Abraham. He is the father of the faith of three major world religions. And I would argue, next to Christ, there isn't a more famous or significant person in human history. Huge. Imagine what Abram thought or felt when he heard God make these promises to him. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make you into a nation. I'm going to give you land. I'm going to bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you. I I think he must have been absolutely overwhelmed to hear that. The physical blessings that are promised here are just mind-bending. But so are the spiritual blessings. And all of the physical blessings that are being promised to Abraham here are just, they are pointers to a far greater blessing. And you've got to hear this. All of these physical blessings, they were all pointing in one way or another to one person. And that person is Jesus Christ. Abraham said, God, Jesus said of Abraham, that Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. Romans says that the children, the real children of Abraham, are not children who are born according to the flesh, but who are by faith looking to Jesus Christ. And so that's where these promises are all ultimately pointing. Now the reason why this is so critical and so vastly important for you is you need to know what promises are of blessing are being promised to you. And I, I don't doubt that there are physical, material blessings promised in the New Testament. But when I read the New Testament, I just don't hear that accent. I don't hear the accent where God is promising wealth and health and favorable circumstances. When I hear the word blessing or blessedness as it's promised to us, please hear this. There are spiritual blessings. That we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ. Like what? Like, I will forgive your sins. Like, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will give my spirit to you. And when you die, I will, I will take you to myself. 
I'm going to create a new heavens and a new earth that you will dwell in. I hear these promises, but I don't hear the promise of physical blessing, which would amount to something like your whole life will be nothing but okay and, and, and full of like material blessings and good health and favorable circumstances. I don't see it. And what's going to happen if you think that that's the blessedness that's being promised to you here in this calling? What happens when life goes sideways? What happens when it hits the fan? I'm asking you. You will become wildly disillusioned with who God is. And you will struggle in your faith. You will. October 19th, 2013, Alistair Chalmers wakes up with a severe migraine. He can't sleep for days. The energy is drained out of him. For months, he consults doctors who can't find a cure. They eventually do, and they tell him that there is no cure for what he has. He will spend the rest of his life 24-7, 365, with like mind-splitting migraines. What do you promise a guy like that? Do you promise him he's going to be okay? Do you promise that his migraines are going to disappear? You can't. I mean, one day they will, but you can't promise that in this life. What you can promise him is that Christ went to the cross for his sins. What you can promise him is that Christ rose for his life. What you can promise him is that God will never leave him or forsake him. What you can promise him is that God's power will be made manifest in his weakness. What you can promise him is that God's glory will be put on display through his weakness. You can promise him these things, and they are glorious promises. But what you cannot promise him, friend, is that he's going to be okay in this life. You can't. It's better to know the blessing that's being promised here in this calling because the promise that's being given to you is a life of blessing. But it is a kind of blessing that just far outstrips, outweighs, it eclipses any material blessing that could ever come to you in this life. Because it is the blessing of being found in Christ with all the spiritual blessings that he promises to you. That, my friend, is what's so radical about this and these promises that are so attached to the calling of God. And so I would ask you this morning, what is it that you're going through in this life, whether hard or not, where you need to hear his promise? Like, what promise do you need to hear this morning? You say, I don't know 
what the promise is. I don't know where it's found. Find it. Find that promise. Write it down. Tape it to your wall. Tape it somewhere. Keep that in front of you. You need to hear this promise, whatever that promise is. And if you're having a hard time believing that promise, find a friend who will believe it for you and who will speak it into your life again and again and again. Listen, this calling that God makes on a person's life is a calling with such glorious promises. And they are promises that God has given to you. He wants you to hold on to. He wants you to walk with them. He wants you to believe them because they will make all the difference in your life. Okay. Three, it's radical because of its impact. Back in verse 31 of chapter 11, we're told that uh, Terah and Abram and the whole family were called to leave um, Ur and start walking towards Cana. They got about halfway, about 500 miles, and then they stopped at a place called Haran for about five years. Abraham accumulates wealth, his father dies, and then he continues on. And as they're traveling, he sort of drops down into Cana, which is Israel today. It feels weird saying that in this moment. Drops down, drops down, drops down, and the first place he meet, he, he goes is Shechem. Remember, he still does not know where he's going. God still has not told him where he's going. But he arrives at Shechem, and God finally says, Abram, this is the land that I promised to you way back in Ur. And Abraham he, he, he makes an altar to God. He worships God. And then he continues south. He continues south to Bethel and to Ai. And he builds a tent there. And again, he worships God. And he goes down. He travels south to the Negev. And he walks around the whole country as though he owns the joint. And he does. He just hasn't taken possession of it yet. And it's amazing. You want to just think about this with me. This call that God had on his life, a call that was strong enough to bring him out of a life, the only life that he had known, and to get him walking with his family a thousand miles to a land he didn't know anything about. And he does it. How do you account for that? How do you account for a guy leaving everything behind, walking who knows where, dropping down into a land that God says, I'm going to give to you, and he does it. And I think what you're seeing here is just the power of this call and the impact that this call can have and does have on people's lives. Hey, it's a crazy thing, this Christian life, isn't it? Uh, where we're called to leave it all behind and, and put our faith in Jesus Christ and just walk and trust him every step of the way, not knowing where it's going to take us? Like, how do you account for the, the fact that you're following that call? I want to strongly suggest to you this morning that that is owing to the power of the call of God on your life. The reason why you're walking this morning is because you've been called. 
Because when a God, when God calls a person, a man, a woman, it always has that seismic impact on a person's life. They will respond. Just like Isaac or, or Abram did. Think about this with me for a few minutes. Think of your life right now. Think of the unknown that's lying in front of you. Where is God calling you to walk today? What is that thing you cannot see? What is that thing that is just unknown to you? But right now, God is calling you to put faith in him. I'm just pausing to let you think about that. Because I have a sense right now that some, many of you this morning are wondering that very question. That God is calling you to something you cannot see. He's asking you to do something. You don't know how it's going to work out. But all you know is that God has called you to put faith in him and to walk and to keep walking. What is that thing? What is that thing? What is that thing he's calling you to trust him for? Maybe this morning he's asking you to trust him for your life and your eternal salvation. Maybe this morning, like Abraham, you're hearing God's call on your life. The way I heard it on my life when I was 20, 35 years ago. And maybe this morning for you, it means taking that step of faith into Christ and away from that life that you've known, that you've only known. Maybe for you, I would say, child of God, it just means that you understand that your step is going to be a response to God's calling on your life. He is always prior. But you're going to have to take that step, just like Abraham did. You can't stay in Ur. You can't stay in Haran. You've got to take that step. You've got to trust God with that. Grace West, we too have been called. We've been called with a powerful calling. And it's a calling to walk by faith. There's much that we do not see right now. We can't see it. We don't need to see it. But the question I want to pose to you this morning is this. Is he worth any sacrifice? Is he worth any sacrifice? Is he worth our discomfort and our inconvenience? Is the possibility of being a blessing, the way God promised that Abram would be a blessing, does that potential have the power to propel us into a life of seeking the good and the blessing of God on people's lives. That's what I'm asking this morning. 
I believe the God, I believe the call, the radical call of God is on this congregation. I believe He is calling us to leave and to put aside whatever is inconvenient and difficult and to trust Him with our future and to trust Him in a way where we are seeking to be a blessing, not to be blessed but to be a blessing to others and to bring people into or into a deeper experience of this radical calling of God in Jesus Christ. Will we answer the call? Will you answer the call? Will I answer the call? Father in heaven, we want, we want to listen to you. We want to respond to you. We don't want to stay in Ur. We don't want to settle in Haran. We want to go where you have promised to bless us and through us to bless others. And we want, Father, to be a church where people can experience your radical call on their lives. We want to be a church father that responds to the promises, the radical promises of this call and to its radical impact. Father in heaven, call us and help us to hear you. Help us to hear your promise of blessing. Help us to walk in faith and in obedience to that call. And Father, may we be a blessing. Bless us to be a blessing, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.